get fucking cozy. Cause I think we I think this is gonna be a big one. It's gonna be a big one. It's gonna be a big one. Big one. Um I'm Bobby Navia. And I am Dorian Weinzimmer. Welcome back, everybody, to the couch. Sometimes known as the big one. The big one. It's not. No one's ever referred to either of us or the show as the big one. But hey, let's let's get the ball rolling. You know, um, it's a very special episode. It is. Uh, it's the big one. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's just going to be your thing for this episode. It's just. Like I said before, no, Bobby, I at the beginning of the episode, two hours ago, it is the big one. I think that was the funniest possible thing I could have done with repeating this throughout the show, so I think I'm done with it now. All right. Yeah. We'll okay. see. If opportunity arises, you know, uh, it's it's now been planted. It's simmering underneath the surface, but mm-hmm. I think right there, kind of comedically, that was tight. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, this episode, the big one. <laughs> I beat you to the punch. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> we're going to be doing our uh, top 10 movies of the decade. Woo! 2010 to 2019, yes. motherfuckers. Uh, In case you were unfamiliar with the concept of a decade. Yeah. Yeah. Just Most some clarify. people are. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. This past decade, you know, there have been, oh, right, right, there have right, been right. many decades uh, as well. I guess, you know, it wouldn't. Might be kind of fun. Hey, let's do the best films of 1980 to 1989. That might be fun. Yeah. To actually, actually like, what? Yeah. Pretty good time. Yeah. But today we're going to do a contemporary yes. decade list. Yes. Um, so Dorian and I have each made our lists. We don't yes. know what are on them. Nope. Whatsoever. So this will be the first time we're hearing each other's lists. Yeah. It's and be then uh, some shockers. Uh, so. Well, do you just want to jump yeah. into it? I think we should. We should yeah. Just jump we got in, a, right? I got a lot. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a lot. I, I to don't deal imagine with. you wouldn't. I never come over here <laughs> thinking, like, you know. Hey, look at last week. Man, it's 35 minutes last week. Yeah, Woo! bro. It was a hot one. It was a hot Doolittle with Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's why don't you why don't you lead this off, Bobby? I'm gonna lead this off? Yeah. Okay. All right. Bobby is number 10. Of the decade. Of the decade. It is actually a 2019 film. All right. Okay. And it is uh Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Woo! So number ten is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, obviously right. written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was I wasn't gonna do like Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight was kind of circling around there too. Yeah, but um, I think um, in all honesty, I'll get a little sentimental here with you. Is that um, not that you and I are the Brad Pitt and Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio of you know podcasting? The Cliff and Rick. The Cliff and Rick. Yeah, but. I don't know, be going to watch that movie with you and it it's just resonated so much with me about like being a movie about friendship mm-hmm. and just like <laughs> sticking by your guy. Yeah. And it's just like it's just a I don't know, like a feel good Quentin Tarantino movie. Totally. And I don't know if I can like go through his whole filmography and just say, damn, I feel just like really good about mm-hmm. like having friends and like a, a friend friends that I can talk to or I do this with or do that with. Yeah. But that movie definitely did it, among other things, you know. Uh, it being a, uh, you know, like a love letter to Hollywood in a particular time yeah. uh, during film and filmmaking, which I wasn't alive for. But so it was nice to just be like transported back to that. Um, I yeah, will say, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree I will more. say, too, uh, that I think um, I think the other reason I had Hateful Eight in, in there in the mix as well for like a Tarantino movie for the decade yeah. is also because of the 70 millimeter presentations yep. because I feel like this decade has 
at least for me and you, because I've had most of my 70 millimeter experiences with you as well, is uh, just being able to see something on 70 millimeter yeah. and like learn more about it and learn more about like that process and, you know, 35 to 70 with blow ups and mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, um, it's something that I wasn't I didn't grow up with. So like this decade has just been me being educated by it and preferring to go see something in that format as opposed to digital and actually being able to see the difference, uh, you know, in, in a yeah. tactile way. Right. You know, like, appreciate it. Yeah. Right. And so now going to see like uh, like a couple of weeks ago, we saw Little Women mm-hmm. on 35 um we've seen joker on 70 Mm -hmm. you know um and some of those movies i've gone to a theater to see like i I saw once upon a time in hollywood uh digitally yeah like a couple days after or whatever after we saw it in 70 yeah Yeah. and you know there is a difference you know what i mean there are some movies now that if I, i go see them on film at music box like i I question whether or not i would have liked it as much if i saw it digitally because the film just adds this other layer of character uh, uh, to the movie, whether it's a modern or, you know, period piece or something like that. And yeah. so I really appreciate that like feeling mm-hmm. uh, when, when watching and then walking out of a movie too. And man, I'll never like that was anytime somebody, yeah. If somebody questions the difference between, you know, like, do you, can you really tell the difference and stuff? Like for <laughs> me, dude, Roma, Oh, fuck. that was, yes. that was fucking crazy. Yes. Like how, different the movie was for me mm-hmm. in those two experiences we saw it digitally first that's right we did man then they uh music box ended up showing it like two months later in 70 millimeter <laughs> Do you and i was what like you said though you're like you told me that and then you're like i'll probably never watch this movie again i mean unless music box oh yeah that's right 70 millimeter and then like a week later it was like yeah they well, announced it yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like all right well fuck i guess i'm watching this yeah. again <laughs> And we went, and it was fucking magical. Like, I all of a sudden, like, the movie was a movie, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. It, it, like, it just, it, it, like, everything about it, especially being black and white, it was just, like, the contrast and, um, you know, the depths of the blacks and all that. It was, like, it was so fucking flat when we saw it in uh, digital. in digital. It was, like, disturbing because, like, there wasn't as much, um, you know, the, the, the shadows and highlights weren't as deep. Um, and it just, it, it got this, like, you know, ended up being this grayscale thing yeah. instead of black and white, yeah. you know, it was just like this gray and you can still tell, I mean, you know, the craftsmanship is impeccable and, you know, it was like, it, you know, it didn't make it not a brilliant film, right right but there was just something like, you know, that like the human quality had been sucked out of it. You know, yes. I felt like I was watching like a machine reenacting this beautiful thing (laughs) right right you know and like that was one of the few times that i didn't really then i saw it in 70 and i was just like holy shit this is yeah you know i've always appreciated the difference but that was like i i hadn't it had a theatrical contrast like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know because for me it's like you know uh, once upon a time in hollywood i never went to a digital theater to see it it was a Saw it four times. I went to Music Box every fucking time. Yeah. So like they're showing it on film, motherfuckers. Like yeah. I'm going there. Right. I would. Why would you ever go anywhere else? Yeah. Like, um. So yeah. So I, you know, rarely do I actually see a movie in both formats. Um. You know, in a theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was just, it, yeah, it was fucking night and day like, in, <laughs> yes. in every way. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's my number ten. Yeah. And, Wonderful uh, choice. It definitely encompasses a, a lot of a lot of new experiences for me for for the decade as well. So yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a good one to kick it. Perfect. Yeah. No, I like that. All right. 
My, num- my number 10. Dorian has... Hang on, I'm going to take a picture of this because uh, this is going to be good to... Yeah. Well, once we're done, sh- once we're done, I'll show you the other side. <laughs> <laughs> you can see the madness I'm dealing with over here. All right. Um, okay, so I have uh, basically for all, for all of my picks, I have some stuff because I, as I was trying to whittle down my list, yeah, I decided I needed to just start writing a okay. little bit about like why am I choosing this movie, you okay. know, and like just write it out and then look at it and go like, oh, I picked like these three movies for basically the same reason, so let me just pick one of those, you gotcha, know, gotcha, gotcha, uh, things like that that I hoped would help whittle down the list, kind of worked, kind of, <laughs> yeah. Um, for the most part, I looked at it and was like, wow, these are all compelling. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so I have some prepared comments. It's just stuff I wrote. It wasn't written completely to be like, you know, a speech or anything. So it's a little like stream of consciousness sometimes. So bear with me, but then then we'll just talk about it a little bit more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So my number 10 pick of the decade is Bellflower. Ooh. Okay. Movie from 2011. Yes. Uh, very, very, very low budget independent film. Um, here, let me let me start with my comments. Go for it. This will be slightly addressed. So, wait, do you have like director and everything? Who directed uh, it? It's uh, it was written and directed by uh, Evan Gladell. Right. Um, with his company called Coat Wolf Productions. Okay. Um, they're based in like Southern California, but mm-hmm. uh, him and most of his collaborators are actually from Wisconsin. Mm. Uh, originally and okay. moved out to California to do movie things and then, you know, kind of started their own right. production company. All um, right. Anyway, so uh, Bellflower is the ultimate we have a dream and 10 bucks movie. Um, and I really fucking love that attitude. So a lot of the times the results end up sucking when a movie's made under these kinds of pressures. But this is one of those rare films from this realm that I can honestly praise for both its ambitions and its accomplishments. Uh, furthermore, the film's ambitions were a constant source of inspiration to myself and several members of the Chicago Rot crew. Chicago Rot being a film that uh, I co-wrote and directed. Um, and its, accomplishment, uh, its accomplishments set a very high standard for us to measure ourselves against as we were making Chicago Rot. Uh, it made clear to me that budget is not the problem, but instead creating uh, creativity is always the solution. Uh, in spite of, and yes, sometimes in response to, the budget. Uh, and as, I f- as a film, I absolutely adore it. It's an absolute masterpiece of magnified emotions. Playing a bad breakup as a Mad Max-infused end-of-the-world emotional apocalypse made manifest in fire of every kind. It belongs in the same category as Primer and El Mariachi. Um, mm. It truly feels just like a handmade movie. Yes. Uh, and you can just feel the kind of insane passion scorching every single frame of it. Um, and lastly, everyone needs a friend like Aiden. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Aiden, Aiden's quite a character yeah (laughs) but he's the he's the perpetually down friend you know not not like downer but he's like he's always down with whatever you want to do yeah right right, you're like dude i want to build a flamethrower he's like fuck yeah let's Let's build a flamethrower man that's awesome um and they do but um but no there's so many things like you know the production behind the story of the production for this film is really tremendous it's some crazy story that like the um, the director Evan Gladell, him and the cinematographer Joel Hodge, um, really really super into like optics and like are super smart like engineer types. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they like wrote into Silicon Imaging and got them to send them like a prototype SI two K camera, yeah. and then they fucking modified it um, to get it to look the way that they wanted to. I mean to the point where like. 
Uh, I think they had to they had to have a MacBook like laptop in a backpack, and the com- the camera was plugged straight into the laptop. Oh, it was wow. like the only way they could actually record footage off of it because yeah. this thing was like hacked. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great movie. It's like it's a relationship story kind of in a way that I've never seen told before mm-hmm. and definitely something that, you know, struck a chord with me personally. Cause I've, I, I had sort of like a bad breakup when I was younger. Okay. And I understood the immensity of the emotions that he was trying to convey here. Like, yeah, you know, and that's what I saw in this connected with in this movie that I was like, I've never actually seen this before in another film mm-hmm. that really, really, I don't know, sort of brought to the table in a cinematic way. What this really feels like, Yeah, you know, and uh, man, it's you know it's it's downright nasty. Like it gets really awful <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as it goes on. Uh, you know, and things just kind of like get worse and worse. Right. But um, you know, it's it's also about like kind of like the need to work through that sort of like I don't know, like frustration of being feeling emasculated. You know. Yeah. And like dealing with that rather than letting it become a more destructive force, which obviously, you know, now there's a lot of talk about like toxic masculinity over the past decade. I feel like, you know, this movie was like unintentionally kind of like a precursor to that, that it was like it took that whole life before that was something people even talked about. Yeah. With films or society even really. But, um, you know, this movie was kind of addressing those things Mm -hmm. and the way that at least, you know, this person kind of dealt with them. Yeah. Yes. It. It was ugly for a little while, <laughs> right? But it needed to be that way uh-huh. to get past it, yeah. so that you know everybody could move forward, and this never needs to happen again. Hopefully, right? Um, you know, but it you know it plays both sides. Not to say that it, it completely ignores the uh, uh, female side of the relationship, um, but it is mainly focused on uh, uh, Evan. Evan, the writer director, is also the lead actor in the film. Uh, plays a character named Woodrow. Um, so it does it does mainly focus on Woodrow, but a lot of the movie takes place in their relationship and it does towards the end start to switch back and forth between I mean, they're both doing awful shit. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Not to not to play the you know, they're like, oh well there's bad <laughs> people on both sides, but it, no, it's like this is like a bad, you know, this is like a toxic relationship. Yeah. You know? yeah it's yeah. like they kind of both just gotta get it out. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, super fucking cool. Like I said, wildly inspirational. So very, you know, I thought this was a good way to start the list for me also. Cause it was like, at the end of the day, like these lists can never be objective. Yeah. You know, they're, they're complete movies are subjective. You know, there's no, uh, uh, agreed upon criteria for like what are we judging the movies against to say these are the top 10 of the, right, you know, so right, inevitably right. it's all comes down to personal stuff. Yes. You know, how did this movie um, you know, affect you yeah, and uh, those types of considerations. So, you know, this I thought was a great way to start. I knew I wanted this in my top 10 because I, I really, really fucking love this movie, but yeah. it, it really had a big, I can't overstate how much this made uh, me and our cinematographer for Chicago rot, Ryan Barina in particular, okay. confident that like we could do it. Yes. You know, like then that was something we were about to go into production and like, we really needed that. Right. Um, and, and like I said, it not only like proved to us we could do it, but it proved to us that like, we can do it at the standard we want to do it to, you know, mm-hmm. we don't have to say like, Oh, well, you know, we have all these limitations. So let's just, you know, we'll get what we can. It was like, no, we can fucking make the movie we want to make. Yeah. You know, like that, that barrier is no longer there. Right. And, uh, that was just something that was enormously, uh, impactful mm-hmm. upon my life. <laughs> and, nice. 
Um, you know, and, and this movie, I'll never be able to separate this movie from that. You mm-hmm. know, like to me, this and Chicago Rod are almost like sister films. Okay. Um, or brother films, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we're both Midwesterners. You know, they, they went out to California to do their thing. We stayed here and all this. But, you know, the, the spirit that like, you know, I, I would fucking kill myself if I couldn't make this yeah, kind yeah. of vibe to the movie. Right. You know, you feel that. Like yeah. every frame is like this had to be so hard for them to do but it was like you knew that they just they had to mm-hmm. they couldn't they couldn't possibly consider not doing it yeah um so yeah it's it's a beautiful thing to see nice i like it i like it i still have that movie nice i own it oh i didn't know you bought a copy i did oh hell yeah, yeah. oh I, yeah you found it at like reckless one time or yeah, something. yeah right? it was uh, at uh oscilloscope uh yeah. released it mm-hmm. really nice uh really i don't I can't remember if I watched it, but I, I think we only because we went to the movie theater to see it, weren't we? Yeah, right. I don't. I wasn't sure if you were with a Brina and I. Know definitely saw it in the theater. I know I went to a theater to see. Okay, it, so I, I I would imagine you probably. I would imagine with I us, went yeah. with you guys, but yeah, uh, yeah. I know I went to the movies to see it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. Uh. All right. Number Moving nine. On. Number nine. Bobby's number nine movie of the decade is. It's a movie called Sing Street. No. Oh. Came out in 2016. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's directed by John Carney. Okay. It's a uh, it's a movie about a, a boy who grows up in uh, Dublin during the 1980s. Okay. And he's got like a really strange family life. He's just been taken out of like a like his like the beginning of the movie is like his parents are just like, you know, we're we're getting a divorce. We're taking you out of like private school. You're gonna go to this public school where you know like shitty kids are mm-hmm. you know shitty 1980s like irish kids are and shit like that and uh you know it's just it's just like a really strained strained uh, family life and uh like the first 20 minutes of the movie he it just has like a really bad first day at school and then uh, sees across the street this girl who's just standing on her porch mm-hmm. goes over talks to her and says that he has a band and that they're going to do a music video, and if she wants to be in it. And she's just like, uh, yeah, sure, you know, that sounds good. And then he walks across the street to his buddy, and he's just like, yo, we got to put a band together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and so it's it's him putting a band together and writing, uh, writing original songs, but he has an older brother who seems as though he uh who's played by Jack Rayner the actor Jack oh, okay. Rayner yeah yeah he was in uh, midsummer yes. recently mm-hmm. yeah and uh he goes to his brother to tell his brother about how he's feeling about the girl cuz he has a crush on her he likes her but he just doesn't know how to communicate with her so the brother educates him on music whether it's like Devo or Elton John or The mm-hmm. Cure or Duran Duran and he's just like you really need this if you're moving into this stage of feelings okay for this chick. all right and so the so it's like a mixtape the it is. movie yeah yeah um but the um they they don't do like covers of any of the of the music the the kid ends up writing music that sort of emulates like the cure gotcha. but it's all original music okay it's all original oh, music cool. all right. yeah. yeah and so um so this is you know and it's also while, while it's about him trying to like grow up and you know have friends and do do this with uh, all these kids in the school um, it's also really secretly just kind of about like this really tight relationship he has with his brother and his brother, apparently like there's a, there's like a small backstory where like he, 
he could have done something. He could have left the island, the little island that they're on, but he never did. So he just stays at home and smokes weed and mm-hmm. doesn't play the guitar anymore. And, you know, it's just essentially kind of a bum. But like, yeah, you know, um, his brother doesn't see him that way at all. So um, anytime like I meet somebody new or, you know, I'm trying to figure out like what movie to watch or introduce people to or something like that. Um, if I ask people if they're like into musicals or something like that, uh, I think like what, like an episode ago, we were talking about like Moulin Rouge and everything, which, which is a favorite of mine. But uh, this one is always up at the top where I'll mm-hmm. just be like, have you ever seen Sing Street? And most people are like, nope, I've never heard of it. And I'm yeah. like, great, <laughs> we're going to watch it because it's really just a fucking feel good, good movie. Nice. Yeah. Sweet. So that's my number nine. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so my number nine mm-hmm. uh, is uh, also an alliterative two-word title. Oh. Like Sing Street. Okay. But it is actually a movie called Bad Black. Oh. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, this is a, a Ugandan film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From the uh, the brilliant filmmakers of Wakaliwood, uh, uh, in a, a village known uh, called as uh, excuse me a village called Wakaliga, right? And uh, they started their own production company that they called Wakaliwood, um, which they are eventually trying to expand into Wakali World. Uh, really? Oh so, yeah. Oh they're trying shit. To, they're trying to get international. Nice. With this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but anyway. Um, Without question, uh, Bad Black is the most fun I had at the theater this past decade. Um, it was a late show at a film festival called Windy City Horrorama, and the oh, yeah. very colorful description that they had in the uh, pamphlet or in the uh, program um, it lured almost everybody who was at the festival to this screening. Um, but nothing could have ever prepared us for what we were actually about to watch. Uh, about two minutes into the movie, uh, all of our jaded cinephile brains <laughs> melded into a single audience, and we experienced the film as one collective organism uh, with our hive mind blown over the course of the entire movie. Uh, it was like we were all watching a movie for the first time in our lives. Uh, the approach was so new and alien that I honestly had no idea what would happen next. And I don't mean that just in terms of plot, but literally in terms of how images and sounds would be used to tell an absolutely absurd and painfully entertaining story. Uh, the background of the film and the filmmakers is extraordinary and is completely entangled in the DNA of this film. Uh, it's a sterling example of how film can be used to communicate and share an entire cultural experience, giving you a glimpse into a wildly different perspective than your own and see the beauty that it perceives through its particular eyes. Not only did I love the perspective it presented, but I was jealous I couldn't immediately access more of it. Um, this <laughs> was right. like, yeah, this, I mean, this was seriously, watching this movie was like finding out that one plus one equals three. <laughs> like it was, it was that kind of just like everything's different now. Yeah. You know, because it was just, it's, I mean, this movie was literally made for $200. Again, this is like a really, uh, Wakaliga is like a really, really impoverished community in Uganda. Um, they, they are not wealthy at all and it, you know, it would be considered the slums basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this director, uh, this, uh, his name's, uh, Nabwana IGG is what he's credited as. I believe his first name is actually Isaac. Um, okay. and, uh, so oh, yeah, anyway, that's right. uh, Isaac, uh, started making films as a way of, you know, like 
elevate, you know, exactly what you were just talking about with Sing Street. Like, mm-hmm. it was a way of getting out of his present circumstances. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he right. would, like, he literally was doing this in his own life yeah. by making movies. <laughs> um, but it was also a way to, you know, bring the community closer together mm-hmm. and give everyone in the community something to do so people didn't resort to whatever, you know, criminal behavior or anything like that just yeah. because of, like, desperation and you know, boredom, you know, and right, all that. It was right. like it gave someone some sort of occupation and like something to work towards and aspire to. Um, But anyway, so the really truly tremendous kind of like brain breaking thing about this film is that uh, in Uganda, and apparently this is very specific to Uganda. It's not really in like all of Africa or anything. Um, The way that they see movies there, there's not a single movie theater in like this guy, Isaac, he's actually, he's never been in a movie theater before. Right. Uh, lo- every movie he's seen apparently was like seen this way, which is they have these like video halls in Uganda where, um, you know, every it's like a community center and just like everyone packs into this room at you know like cafeteria tables or just chairs or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's like a sheet hanging up in the back, <laughs> you know, and they like project the movie, um, you know, but it's you know it's like all in English. Not everyone speaks English, yeah. so not everyone really knows what's going on. So they started having uh, these guys called VJs or video jokers that would narrate the film for the audience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while they're watching the movie, there's a guy just like talking about the movie so that everyone knows what's going on. And he's not standing there just like translating every line of dialogue like. Yeah, he's telling you what's going on, but he's injecting jokes. Yeah, he's kind of making fun (laughs) of the movie a little bit and all this stuff. And so like these movies like bad black and stuff are made from the perspective of that's what a movie is to them. A movie always has someone talking over it yeah, because that's how they always watch movies. It's like every movie they've ever seen. That's what it's like. Um, so they make movies with this as like from the ground up as part of the film. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it is an essential component of it. So it's like there are parts of the story that are like not even explained in like the dialogue <laughs> of the movie. Uh-huh. It's all the dialogue of the VJ Emmy. Uh, this guy, he's like the most famous and popular of all the right, VJs, right. VJ Emmy. Um, and so, you know, Bad Black, when you watch it, it's there's not an option to turn VJ Emmy on or off. His commentary is just part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's... It's as essential as any other part of the film, you know, like it couldn't exist without it. And just like watching this was so amazing. Um, And it's fucking hilarious. Like this guy's actually really funny. And like the movie, you know, the fact that like the movie is actually like aware of this metatextual component as well. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the filmmaker is aware of this and planning to use it as part of the film. It's like there's this interplay between the two even that's just like so beautifully orchestrated, you know, that like. Other movies, it's all happenstance. You know, they made the movie to be the movie, and then this guy ended up just talking over it at a video hall in Uganda. Right. You know, and it's got more of like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was just like, again, just the the perspective that I was able to get a glimpse into, you know, where I was watching it. I was just like, oh, my God, like, you know, to to like this whole culture, this is what a film is. I was just about to say, you know, yeah, like at first, it's so it's wild. funny, and it's just like, it's comical, and it's like, oh, my God, this is crazy. But then when you talk about, you know, the actual like history behind it, it's like, no, this is how an entire culture like sees movies. And it's not a joke. Yeah. You know, like it's serious. And so like you can still watch the movie and like, you know, laugh because it's, it's it is genuinely funny. Right. But it's not, you know, 
you know, uh, DJ Emmy is not making fun of the movie. Right. That's a great point. Do yeah, you know what it's, I mean? it's so, all it's all reverential in tone. Right. Yeah. Right, right, no, right. like they really love this stuff mm-hmm. and respect the shit out of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and um, <laughs> and that comes. But you know, it's like any great art is like it's not afraid to like make fun of itself a little bit too. True, you true, know, true, and true, have yeah. a good time. So yeah. it's like it does both. Right. Right. And it's just it's it's just beautiful. It's like some of the purest filmmaking I've ever come across. Where mm-hmm. you know, it's like this is literally born from just like love. Yeah. And nothing else. It it just like blew my mind too because I was like wow like where what are movies in other places you know yeah it wasn't all of a sudden it was like Uganda just became this like uh you know container for like all the rest of the world I was like there's so many other fucking countries that I know nothing about yeah their culture or the way that they like uh you know uh, ingest you know media or like what their sort of like storytelling mm-hmm. practices and techniques are and things like that and it's so fascinating because yeah. it's like. It's just it's always exciting to see see things through new eyes, you know. Right. And that's that's really what this movie did. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing movie. Uh, everybody should see it. Good one, man. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Number eight on my list is. Um, it's interesting you say you said something yeah. in the middle of your bad black that I was like, oh, I feel like this kind of applies to this one. I'm yeah. Like, fucking forget. <laughs> um. But uh, my number eight is uh, American Animals. Ooh, nice. My number eight is American oh, yeah. Animals. I still need to show that to Hannah, actually. Sorry. It comes out. Uh, came out in 2018, uh, directed by Bart, Bart Layton, right? Yeah. Right, Bart Layton. Um, and, uh, Who financed this movie, Bobby? <laughs> <laughs> wait, was it... Uh, movie Pass. Oh, it was yeah. Movie Pass. That's right. I had Movie Pass in my head. I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. Was it Movie Pass? Yeah, movie no, Pass? I think it was the only movie they That's ever financed. Right. Yes. Yeah, because they went defunct they like went, yeah. three months later. Wow. Um, yes. Hey, it was a good one. <laughs> it was a good one to put out. Yeah, it's a movie about a... Uh, it's based on a true story about a group of kids who uh, decided to, while they were in college, steal a... Uh, it's like a priceless book. Or yeah, an encyclopedia. Birds, right? A bird, yeah, it was yeah. like a bird book uh, from um, from the library and um, uh, on their on their campus. And so uh, Bart Layton famously did this documentary called The Imposter, yeah. uh, which is fucking... It's a phenomenal... Exceptional film. ...documentary. Yeah. And uh, the story behind you know that is uh, there was a, a boy who was missing from from a family for years, and then like some guy or some kid in like was it Brazil yeah, or uh, is it was a family in the south the yes. the south of the United States I don't remember like Mississippi or so like southern family yes and the, their yeah son went missing right and years later this French guy shows up. Oh, that's right. He was French. Cla- yeah. Yes. Like accent and everything. Yes. Uh, claiming he was their son. Right. And they embrace him Took and him in. Yeah. bring him right in. The- and it, it is that is a very much a, uh, a reality is stranger than fiction yeah. <laughs> story. Yes. It's wild. Right. And yeah, the way it's done is so good. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. On. You're fine. That um, movie fucking rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, with it being the decade, I'm going to spoil a little bit of yeah. it. Okay. So, uh, so if you haven't seen American animals, which I feel you, you need to see it. That's an easy recommendation. It's yeah. a really, really, really. It's so yeah, it's a great, it's like a great work of art and also the super entertaining. Y- yes. Very fun to watch. Yeah. So good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 10 minutes into the movie, it switches to a, uh, it kind of switches to a documentary. Where one of the one of the actual men 
students who's now a man who committed this crime is uh, being interviewed. Yeah. And he's talking to you uh, about this particular scene like we just watched. Yeah. And <laughs> laced throughout the movie, uh, very cinematically, um, there's one scene I'll describe that uh, two of the characters go to a, uh, they drive up to a gas station and they're having a conversation about something and one character gets out from the passenger side and the camera follows him from the car all the way and pans like um, pans to the right to watch him go walk into the to the um, to the shop to mm. the gas station and then the camera pans back and the actual man the actual guy that this character is based off is sitting in that passenger yeah. seat <laughs> and the actor looks over to him and says is this how this happened is this how you remember it and he's just like yeah, probably, maybe. I'm, I'm not too sure. You know? yeah. <laughs> and then the scene continues on. So there's these moments throughout this entire movie where Bart Layton like, weaves, this, weaves this in, like the perfect loom you ever yeah. saw, you know, create something. It's, it's funny because it's like I, I kept thinking about like Fargo in a way with this movie. Okay. Just yeah, because yeah, of yeah. that whole, you know, the like, this is a true story right. thing. Yes. Uh, like that Fargo famously, you know, it's... It's completely made up. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just put at the beginning, this is a true story <laughs> because it is. It's it's a true story. Story. You know? <laughs> and it's like this is this is playing with that whole idea in such like a um, unique and interesting way, like mm-hmm. throughout this film that it is sort of like, you know, at, you know, at what point does like memory interfere with uh, objective recollection? You right. Know? Yes. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Like, at what point did this whole story just take on its own fucking life anyway? And even hearing it from the horse's mouth, it's like, it raises that question that, like, you know, if this were presented as a straight documentary, would it be really any more truthful than what we're doing here? I think there, I think there is a part at the end of that movie where one of the actual guys who did this is just like, yeah, I don't, don't even know if this really all happened this way. Like, did yeah, you right. go here? Or did this happen? Right. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And it just sort of was like... It kind of put the whole movie in a perspective of, yeah. of locking you into like, now this is what we just did. Now, me as the director, this is what I just did with this story. Yeah. Because you don't know. It could have been this whole, we could have gone this completely different direction. Yeah, there's this weird like yeah. conspiracy theory all of a sudden <laughs> yes, that comes right. out that is just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Is this all totally different? And it's like, who knows? Yeah. Even the people who fucking did it, mm-hmm. no idea. Right. It's just some shit we're just talking <laughs> about. <laughs> um. And it's so fun. Before we started recording, I, I came over and I said that I had watched a bunch of things, uh, you know, and one of the things I watched was the Aaron Hernandez documentary oh, that's yeah. on Netflix right now. And I told you I didn't watch a lot of the true crime stuff, but like I can't remember the last time where I've had like a, uh, you know, quote unquote true story fed to me in such a unique way. Mm-hmm. So much of Netflix is just like, documentaries and documentaries and it's it's like a yeah you know it's a cheese factory yeah here's an hour's worth of c-span footage of a fucking court case and exactly it's like, kill me now netflix <laughs> right. like yeah. where's the fucking suicide button on this yeah. remote <laughs> 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 uh, but like you know I yeah mean, why are, why is netflix not hiring bart Layton to just like I have make no, shit for them. Yeah. Like that. Oh my God. Cause like, I mean, American animals is this, this like a, it's like, it's like a, it literally broke new ground. And I felt like nobody felt the ground break. I know, Yeah. And it's like, why, why are we still like, you know, I know why we are still, you know, subjecting ourselves to like, 
Oh, cool. Let me put the video. Let me put the documentary on about the guy who like fucked a bunch of cats up. It's like, yeah, right. Okay, cool. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying make that into a thematic, you know, right. type of movie, <laughs> but like, I don't know why more, you know, artists or directors or writers aren't thinking more about educating, educating the world in like a, a new way with whatever sort of right. document they're trying to bring about from like the past, whether it's a documentary or, or anything like that. And I just felt like you know uh american animals just like did it in an entertaining way but also a very educational way but then also taught me something about storytelling as yeah. like you know as a creative or as totally. somebody who thinks like that while watching a movie and i was like shit like i felt like all of my senses were hit all at once but not in a rush and i didn't feel overwhelmed or lost at any point yeah you know in this in this narrative right right you know? So yeah, um, no, it all feels so natural. It's yeah. like you're watching. That's one of the biggest accomplishments of it is like as you're watching it, you, you're almost thinking the whole time, like, why has no one done this before? Like this yeah. works so well, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's like he just like he invented and perfected like a new approach to all of this, mm-hmm. seemingly like with his first film, you know, because this is American Animals, very much like an extension of The Imposter in yes. terms of like style. Mm-hmm. Um, story totally different yeah no relationship whatsoever but it, and that's what was so unexpected because again yeah the trailers for american animals i think very smartly made it seem straight scripted narrative yes that's it it's all to say it's just going to be like a fun heisty movie mm-hmm. and i feel like that might have ultimately worked against it actually because as you said this that's it was one true. of those like why is no one talking about this that's like true. that and that this movie and like dragged across concrete are the two probably movies from this decade that are like the did everyone just miss this yeah like what yeah what the fuck that's, how that's true, yeah. are people not like losing their mind about this movie uh-huh. this is so good <laughs> yeah um but seemingly nobody was even talking about it mm-hmm. you know it's just so weird so yeah i feel like american animals a lot of people might have just passed up on because it just looked like oh he's just doing a yeah oceansy type of movie right right now and i know it's, how it's not that at all kinda, yeah yeah um and yeah. also to include the also to include the actual uh, you know guys who did the heist yeah. into the movie that way and not just make them talking heads right like oh it's amazing he, yeah he uh, like made them kind of like you know reenact their own reenactments yeah and right like, well, he's drawing attention yeah. to the fact that it's like yo this is just the story they told us yeah right we don't right. know yeah. nobody fucking knows it, yes. like how it went down this is just what they told us happened right exactly but that doesn't really mean much of anything you know because uh-huh. everyone sees those events differently through the lens of memory you mm-hmm. know at, at this point and uh all right you're uh we're at uh number eight, number eight. yeah so my number eight of the decade the ocho is a sequel oh yeah really mm-hmm. okay is it Avengers? <laughs> it is not Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dorian threw the table off and just Justice said, League. fuck you. Yeah, no, <laughs> oh, no. shit. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming it is, it at is all, not, dude. It is not Justice League. I did not see that one coming. Yeah. Uh, it is The Raid 2. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, put simply, I never, ever, ever thought of a camera as a member of a stunt team. Uh, prior to seeing this film, uh, and holy hell did Gareth Evans ever prove me how small-minded I was for that. This is my favorite action movie of all time. Um, It is endlessly inventive. It actually takes its story seriously uh, because it has a story worth taking seriously and never, ever forgets that we're here to be amazed and have fucking fun. 
Uh, yes, it is excessive in many ways, but there is always a deep, beautiful poetry between the lines that always lets you know you're in knowing good hands. And that is what truly makes this film special. Uh, that and dude, they fucking disguised a cameraman as a car seat so they could pass the camera through the car during a high speed chase. What the fuck? Like this movie, like I, I was having a, Bobby knows it was funny. One of the first movies that we ever saw together was uh, J a Bayona's the orphanage. Yes. Uh, when we were at flashpoint, this was when Bobby and I were still kind of like sniffing each other's butts, trying to like get to know each other. Yeah. We went and saw this movie, and afterwards, Bobby was like cracking up because he's like, "Dude, you just like sat there with your arms crossed the whole time." <laughs> <laughs> Bobby's like, "You know, there's jump scares in this movie yeah. and shit," and like Bobby's like, "Oh shit," you know, like reacting to the movie. I'm just sitting there, just like watching it, and he's like, "Did you just like hate it?" I was like, "No, I thought it was good." Yes. And he's like, "What? You were just sitting there?" I'm like, "I don't just, <laughs> like I see all that shit coming a mile away." You yeah. know, I don't know. It doesn't like it doesn't get me. I'm not. But that's like, I don't know, for a lot of films I do, it is very, like, intellectual, the way yes. that I approach them. Uh, not, you know, not to say that it's, like, better or anything like that. That's just what, it's more like an analytical thing for me. Right. You know, I'm looking at, like, how they're doing this, mm -hmm. you know, and all that type of shit. Um, you know, when I come out of a movie and realize that, like, I was not doing that the entire film, I'm like, wow, that was really something special. Okay. That was, like, it actually, like, swept me up in it, yeah. you know? And, um the raid two was like one of the only movies where I like I was you during the orphanage while watching the raid <laughs> okay. two. I was just the All whole right. time. I was like, Oh yeah. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, it was like, I was like, my heart was racing watching yeah. this movie and I saw it by myself. Um, it was playing at landmark. Did you see it twice or no? I saw it like three times. Did you? Okay. Theater. I knew yeah. you saw this I, multiple um, times. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, the first time I just went on my own. Oh, okay. I was like really high and people were like going, nuts. you know, there were a few reviews. Yeah. Remember this and Captain America, the winter soldier came out like at the same time. Oh, okay. And I kept seeing these reviews that were like, man, Captain America, winter soldier would be one of the best at, would be the best action movie of the year. If it weren't for the <laughs> fucking raid Two, which just blows it out of the water. Yes. Like, yeah. And every other action movie, like action directors, you should be embarrassed right now. Mm -hmm. um, this like no name Welsh dude just like yeah. fucking owned all just of like you. dressed <laughs> all of you down. <laughs> just like took you in front of the mirror yeah. and just like explained everything that was wrong with you. <laughs> it's this incredible balance. Like, the yeah, the way that his camera is a part of literally a part of the stunt team. Yes. Um, you know, but also like it's so perfectly balanced because that could get really overdone really mm -hmm. quickly where it's like if every punch was like the camera was somehow moving with or reacting to like that hit. Right. So he does a lot of that, but he's smart enough to also know when to do like a long wide take, yeah. you know, and really let the performers sell the brutality and the realisticness, uh, how realistic all of this fights uh, choreography really is. Mm -hmm. Because if you just if you had like a you know a stylized shot for every single hit, it would look like a bunch of single movements. Yes, you know. But he lets you know he'll let the camera just roll on a scene for like three minutes straight though, mm -hmm. <laughs> where it's just like a hundred dudes beating the shit out of each other. And, right. You know. Yeah. From then on, you every time there's a little cutaway or something, you never think about it as like a break from the action. You yeah. Know, or a way that they were able to like cut and break up this fight scene, you know. Mm -hmm. Um it's it feels like there's really just a hundred dudes in a prison, muddy prison yard beating the <laughs> fucking ever living shit out of each other. 
Um, and it's fucking wild. <laughs> I think what's uh, kind of interesting is like, I, I, I obviously don't know the kind of, I know some of them, the kind of persons who like listen to our podcast. Mm. Right. And I'm going to assume that a, ma- a good majority of them have maybe watched the Ray too, or at least the people we know who listen if to they've it. ever met me, they <laughs> fucking watched, <laughs> it. watched yeah. it. But to, if this is like your first time listening to our show or anything like that, and you've never seen the raid, I would say, or the raid too, I would say you've kind of seen, if you're a fan of movies, the trickle down effect of these movies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In stuff like the John Wick series or um, other, you know, modern action movies. You know, uh, Atomic Blonde. You yeah. know, like that kind of that kind of stuff. Has it's not as good. The Raid Two and the Raid and the Raid Two are like top tier. Yeah. But like there are moments where yeah, yeah, there are moments in those movies where yeah, like the camera will just sit on an action sequence and let it play out. You know, with our two main characters and you're seeing them like top to bottom, like duke it out. Yeah. And do this like beautiful choreography, and it just lets you sit there. <laughs> so good. And you're waiting for the cut, but you don't realize like you're holding your breath because you're waiting for a cut to happen yeah. so that you can exhale. Right. And that's literally what like the raid two is because it's just in some moments if it's not you know. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. You know, cutting a lot. No, it really is. Um, no, it's a, that's a great point because yeah, raid two came out in 2014. Okay. So there's definitely like all those movies. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah were yeah. all influenced by this. And the the first raid movie was probably 2010 or 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which was so influential Actually, yeah. uh, that the movie Dread <laughs> straight yes, up just that's right did it yeah. did the same exact thing. Um, uh, the raid is better, but Dread is very fun. Yes. Uh, in its own way. Um, yeah, raid is uh 2011. It was at raid and raid two were on my my special shout outs nice yeah yeah no i mean that that just like completely upended the entire action genre as far as i'm concerned like this it brought it into a new era Mm -hmm. you know and um everybody's kind of chasing what what evans did in those two movies you know with their films and nobody's kind of even come close like there is like a breathless exasperation to the way that these things go on but it's like it's you know because there's parts Again, you can see like in the John Wick films when they try to emulate this. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, like, you know, the say like John Wick three at the end when they're like throwing him through all the glass cases and that that fight scene with actually the guys from the raid movies. Yes, <laughs> right. I was about to say. Um, yeah, they're from the raid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the, it's the guys from the raid movies very politely doing everything at about a tenth of the speed they could do it at so that Keanu can keep up with them. Yes. Because <laughs> right, right. if you watch the raid movies, you realize Jesus Christ, these are inhuman people. Yeah. Like they yeah. are really, what they can do is mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when they're working with people all their caliber instead of, you know, trying to get the biggest star power you can. Yeah. Uh, not to say Keanu, what he's done is incredible right, as right, far right. as, you know, training and, and getting good at, like we've talked about, it, it's kind of funny. Keanu Reeves might be one of the deadliest people on the planet. <laughs> yeah, actually. Right, yeah. Like, good thing he's a really nice guy. Yeah. Because. He could kill you with literally anything at mm-hmm. this point between like the Matrix and John Wick films. Oh, God. You know, yeah, he's yeah. gone through all the training <laughs> in the world. Um, but, uh, you know, this was all about the quality of the performers, you know, the stunt performers. And it uh, turns out Aiko Uai, the, the lead actor, he actually can, can act fairly yes. well, too. Like yeah, he yeah. actually carries the film as a character. And, you know, there's some emotional beats that I think are actually really nice. Mm-hmm um uh in the film but but again at the end of the day it's just it's all about the fucking action man yeah and like they just but they do these extend he does these extended fight scenes that are just like 
they are constantly reinventing themselves and becoming more creative and more interesting. So it's like, it, it never becomes like an act of tedium, you know, yeah. it's just like, Oh, okay. It's like Dragon Ball Z where like nobody ever actually gets hurt. They just do all these like super powered moves to each other. And right. Go, oh, well now it's my turn to do one to you, yeah. you know? And it's boring because there's no consequence to anything. This is like, no, there's a lot of consequence <laughs> and it, it just gets like worse and worse and worse, yeah. but it's like, you feel them fighting through it you yeah, know yeah. um but uh but yeah you know and that was really why i wanted to make sure this was on my list because this is this movie represents in every way the direction i wish action filmmaking had gone over okay. the past decade All right. that certainly some yeah shining moments where mm-hmm. it did you know uh, influence the genre i think mission impossible fallout also deserves yeah uh, excuse me, a uh, mention in this regard yeah. for, you know, the way that it approached its big set pieces. Right, right. And uh, and its action was through, like, real practical stunt work. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the thing that I always have found exhilarating about action filmmaking. It's not the explosions, unless they're real. If they're real explosions, <laughs> then it's... <woo! laughs> That's the thing of beauty. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all the just like, how can we one up the last big CGI, you know, behemoth that came out? Right. With like an even <clears throat> broader vista shot of whatever world we're visiting, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. And it's like, none of that does anything for me. You yeah. know, I just, I play video games, you know, cool. I get, you know, if, if, if I'm going to like go into a fantasy world, like I can get so much more immersed in like a video game fantasy world, you know, because I get to like live that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, make much, you know, explore it in a much deeper way. Right. You know, and that's a bit, that's just a bit more exciting to me as far as that kind of fantasy escapism goes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, the movies too, it's like, uh, you know, I think everyone's still just chasing Avatar um, as far as like those big budget kind Mm -hmm. of like CGI fantasy sci-fi, you know, worlds and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, you just, he kind of set the standard for this is what (laughs) this type of computer driven, you know, uh, spectacle filmmaking is going to be. And, uh, this, everyone's been like, yeah, no, he's right. That's, that's what it is. So let's just kind of try to do that. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. Well then I'm going to go elsewhere, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So to see one that was just like, no, it's all, it's going to be about like, we're going to use the, you know, uh, the, the lowered level of limitations, uh, to getting a film produced and made Mm -hmm. and, you know, the accessibility that digital cameras, especially smaller cameras give us to make a film. And we're going to use that combined with like the stunt work to really take this up a notch, Mm -hmm. you know, rather than try to just like paint a bunch of computer generated shit blowing up around the two people fighting yeah you know it's like let's make the two people fighting as explosive as if the buildings were exploding you know right right yeah and um you know it's just like one of these perfect storms of people Mm -hmm. you know the right director (laughs) the right uh (laughs) you know stunt performers the right actors like just made it all happen and man it's it's really it's awesome and it's like it's like a legit movie too. Like that's the other thing too. You yeah. watch it, you're like, that's a beautifully composed shot. Yeah. There's excellent visual storytelling happening. There's a really kind of like deep, complex story about like, mm-hmm. you know, the criminal underworld in Indonesia. Right. And the way it blends in with, you know, people that have come from other countries and are trying to extend their kind of empire, you know, into this world. Mm-hmm. And the conflicts, you know, uh, written in there. And then, of course, at the heart of it, this guy trying to stop it, you know? Yeah, right. one, like, lone cop. (laughs) You know, he was stuck in a building by himself now. But now it's like he's actually, like, you know, it took him, like, undercover in part two. So it's like now instead of being stuck in a building, he's stuck in a whole world. In a world, yeah. You know, that is against him. Um, They just don't know it yet. And, And, man, that car chase. 
Oh, what the fuck, dude? I haven't watched that I, movie in a long time, honestly. Dude, it's it's been probably a couple years for me since the last time I watched it. <laughs> it really should pop Excuse it me. in. It is. Yeah, no, I haven't watched that movie in man, quite a long special. time. Man, it's special. That's awesome. Good choice, man. Thank you. I yeah. like it. No, um, that was another. It was like an early on one that I was like, I know that, this that is going to be gonna somewhere. Be on there. Yeah, this nice. is going to be on there. All right, so you just had um, the raid two. The raid two was my number eight. Was your number eight? So our number seven. Yeah, Bobby's number seven of the decade is number seven of the decade is mother. Hmm. Nice. Okay. The uh, Darren Aronofsky mother, not the Jun Ho Bong. Correct. Mother. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mother with the exclamation point. Yes. <laughs> and the uh, lowercase m. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mother, yeah. Um, 2017, uh, Darren Aronofsky. Uh, this movie just basically, you know, it's like a big budget art, art house movie. Yeah. And I think uh, it's one. that's one of the reasons why it's it's on my list because I feel like Every year and a lot through this decade, I've 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 watched a lot of art house movies or a lot of like foreign movies, mm-hmm. and it was just interesting to see um, that kind of a movie come from like a mainstream uh, production company. I think mm-hmm. it was like Paramount that put it out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, that uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer uh, in it and everything. Donald Gleason. Yes, Briefly, Donald Gleason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it had all these people in it. I know a lot of people uh, explained that when they saw the movie, it was either people had like a religious take on it mm-hmm. or uh, an environmental mm-hmm. one was another big one. But uh, for me, it was a, a religious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw the environmental, but for me, it was more religion yeah. and faith based. Um, and like I was raised uh, Catholic. I went to Catholic grammar school, Catholic high school, and um, which just kind of like rammed down my throat. And I'm always a big fan of... Um, something turning into a nightmare mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't really feel like people have like a, a, good, a good visual grasp on things turning into a nightmare. And I felt like this movie kind of showed me like showed me that. Yeah. It's just like, look how something so innocent and pure as letting two people or a person into your house because they don't feel good because you're doing a good thing or doing a good deed. And it just turns into a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, it's funny too. Cause like, I don't, I don't understand the the hate for this movie. I don't either. Yeah, like I, I don't really get what's so I sure I understand like not liking it, but I yeah. mean people were like angry. Yeah. About this movie. Was it because of Jennifer Lawrence? I don't there was something because you know her and Aronofsky had dated. That's right. And oh, a, that was the a, other interpretation. Yeah, of the a movie. lot of people were reading it as sort of like their relationship, yeah. you know, which <laughs> definitely, you know, had there was definitely some, you know, uh, I guess toxic masculinity going on there. Uh, yeah. Or at the very least, like, you know, using a power differential in order to take advantage of, you know, somebody else, things yeah. like that. And, you know, just sort of like, you know, demanding, like, I'm an artist. I don't have to explain myself to you. Like, figure, you know, sort of like pushing this woman around yeah, and her yeah. being kind of just like victimized by mm-hmm. every, the fallout of it. Um, that type of shit. So... It's uh yeah there was definitely like a, a meta element to it because this was around the time that you know like this was before Me Too, it was and Times Up yes but still there was starting to be more mm-hmm. of a conversation around those types of things yeah Mother came out in um I think I said 2017 I have it I have the date right next to the uh, yeah 2017 okay came out in yeah it was like right at the end of the year I think yes. that was a December release uh-huh. also 
But yeah, no, I remember when we watched it too. I was like, I, you know, again, I, I just didn't get what people were like hating about it so much. Yeah. And I think it's because it's just, it's like so subjective too. Like yeah. It, the movie can kind of be whatever you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know? And it's I th- a mirror. It is. It's a total mirror. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I thought it went to some really, like, really, really uh, dark and intense places in its, like, reflection. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff with the baby, you know, um, there's a baby that, you know, bad stuff happens to this baby. Yep. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is kind of like what we do. We, yeah. <laughs> we destroy everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's not pretty to look at. And I'm, I think that's probably why so many people were angry about it, like, yeah. subconsciously. Is because like yeah you're just you're just kind of showing us us yeah and it does it's not going it's not down a pretty well. picture it's yeah. not yeah it's really <laughs> um, yeah it's very I mean it's definitely a, a pessimistic movie yeah I would yeah, say yeah, yeah. no matter how you interpret it it's like it's not it doesn't paint a pretty picture for the future of whatever you think this means right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so it was like a it was like a toss up between this movie for me mm-hmm. uh, for this spot for and um, uh, a ghost story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was it was like between one of, one of these two, but like those two movies kind of they're obviously very different movies. Yeah. But, you know, um some of the some of the themes in it in yeah, They're both one. about a house. Yeah, they're both about a house, <laughs> you know. They're both about, you know, ghosts in some way, you mm-hmm. know, one literally, one <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But uh yeah, just in terms of thinking about like, you know, faith and what you believe and just, you know, what you're still around here for, people, you right. know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I like when movies can get incredibly heady that way, but still, you know, still keep it contained, still keep the chaos contained enough for it to it to leave it open-ended at the end, mm-hmm. and you still feel like you got something out of it. Yeah. You know, so. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, I think you made the right choice between the two. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Ghost Story was, it was good. I really, I, I really, yeah. really love that movie. I'm sorry, my Cheetos bag, my Doritos bag, really quick. I'm just gonna take a bite. Ghost Story was a, at least one pie too long. Oh, c- <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, what is it? You're number seven, right? All right, yes. You're number seven. Number seven. Here we go for the 2010s. This is my documentary selection. Oh. Uh, 2012's The Act of Killing. Okay is yeah my number seven for the decade all righty so i don't know who joshua oppenheimer is or where he came from but this film leaves no doubt in my mind that he was put on this earth in order to make this fucking movie um it's truly a perfect hole and for my money it brought documentary filmmaking and filmmaking as a whole to a new height that no one has even come close to touching in terms of the complexity of the subject and the complexity of its treatment of the subject and the gravity of its emotional climax. All right. Um, yeah, this movie is fucking unreal. Uh, <laughs> it won it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary the year it came out. Okay. Um, it was rightfully so. I mean, it should have won every Best Documentary Award, even in subsequent years. It still should have been <laughs> like, no, it's still that one. Uh, no one's topped this. But uh, it was released by Drafthouse Films, in the U.S. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, they acquired it and released it. Um, but it's about uh, this guy, uh, Anwar, who was a leader of one of the death squads in Indonesia during this, like, really, really nasty, like, military coup that took place there. Okay. And, I mean, this guy, like, personally killed hundreds of people. Okay. In, like, really awful ways, too. I mean, this is not, this guy's horrible. Yeah. 
this documentary filmmaker, Joshua Oppenheimer, again, I have no idea where this dude came from, but he somehow is in Indonesia, yeah. meets this former head of a death squad, uh, and convinces him, because this guy loved movies, Anwar, uh, the, the death squad leader. Oh, He's okay. A film fanatic. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was... Uh, and so he challenges this guy to recreate his memories of murder through film. Oh. So, like, make your own movie about what you remember murdering people to be like. Yeah. You know, we want to capture it, not, not the reality of it, but, like, your memory of it. And um, so it's a movie, you know, about this former death squad leader making a movie about how he remembers the act of killing, huh. you know, okay. and um, it I, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, cause don't. it's such I a, haven't watched it before. It's so. it, you. Yeah, this is not like a feel good movie. OK, yeah. All right. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Um, there. But I mean, I'm not going to say it's like a total downer either, uh -huh. because there's something so amazing that happens over the course of this film okay. like so incredible all right and um i just i came out of that like just really really floored by it i mean it looked like it was going to be really powerful just from like the trailer mm -hmm. um, when i first saw it, i knew it was like i have to go see this this is yeah, yeah. clearly yeah must see filmmaking <laughs> and um holy shit man it really is like it's so much it's so much more powerful than you could ever like imagine. Yeah. Um, like I said, it's, it, it is like a perfect film. Okay. I mean, there's so many, and especially being a documentary as well, there are so many things where when I walked out, one of the things that I was most stunned by, but, uh, was just like the, the sort of like presence of mind and prescience of Josh Oppenheimer to do the like little things that he did mm -hmm. as this was all unfolding because there's many things that happened that clearly like this just happened in this moment okay you know? yeah and then he there's a couple things that he does that it's just like let's stage this here you know okay. or like little things like that just completely change everything in the best possible way mm -hmm. and then they end up like resulting in more things happening you know it's, okay. it's just like it, you can tell how smart this guy was about what he was doing yeah. and that he could really see like he knew where he was trying to go with this uh -huh. and not that he was like influencing things like in a, um, uh, you know, in a like manipulative way. I just think it was like even just emotionally for, you know, what was happening. Mm -hmm. This was like the right thing to do. Yeah. Also, there's like this is a guy who by, you know, by all means is like irredeemable. Yeah. You know, he he has performed literally all of the worst acts that humans are capable of performing and like gloats about it. Yeah. Um, and just what happens over the course of this movie is just mind blowing. Yeah. All right. It's, it's so good. It it really is like, yeah, as far as a documentary from the past decade, this is clearly the top of the heap. OK. Um, Imposter was sort of my nearish you know competitor but i was like when i really thought about it i was like nothing really kind of comes close to what this movie does um he did a follow-up uh not really follow-up but like a companion piece called the look of silence yeah um, i remember i didn't see that one but i do yeah. remember uh, uh i have not actually seen the look of silence it is okay. a great misgiving of mine <laughs> that yeah. i haven't actually watched it especially when i was putting this together i was like wow how did i never go you know see that right um but I really need to do that because I've heard by you know uh, by all accounts it's like just as good okay as the act of killing and is like a really like perfect companion piece to it as well yeah so all right uh, I still need to watch that but I'll recommend it because I I hear that yeah they are 
very much, you know, like a pairing. Okay. Um, but uh, man, the act of killing alone is just like, wow, really just took my breath away. You know, I, right. I, I like walked away from not that I didn't respect documentaries or anything like that. It's not my like usual go to. I kind of got to be in like sometimes I get in a mood. Yes. For docs. You yeah, know? yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I want to watch some fucking docs yeah. right now. You know? learn some shit. Yeah, yeah. right. Or just hear some anecdotes or something, <laughs> you know, whatever. But uh, it's, um, uh, you know, I'm not always in that mood. So it's not always like a go-to genre for me. Yeah. You know, even if people are like, oh, this doc, you have to like go see it. It's so great. I'm like, okay, you know, next time I'm in the mood. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go towards that. But I, I walked like a- two of those this decade and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. but I walked away from this movie, you know, with like a newfound respect Okay. for documentaries and like, you know, I really, you know, kind of like, I do need to open my eyes up in this direction a little bit more, Yeah. you know, than, yeah. I, than I normally do. Cause normally it's like, I only once like, okay, like 12 people that I trust have all told me this is good. So maybe now I'll watch it. Yeah. It's like, maybe I should just, you know, that seems interesting. Why not check it out? Yeah, right, right, right. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then this was one of those. Looked really interesting just from the trailer. Just decided to go check it out, and hands down my favorite documentary of the decade. If, like, if not ever. You yeah. Know? Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to have to watch it now. Yeah, you really do. Shit. Um, it's heavy. Yeah. Yeah, those, those two for me, this... Maybe not this decade or in the last, you know, it would be in the la- within the last year and or last year in like 2018. Would I have on special shout outs are uh, Three Identical Strangers. Oh, yeah. Still haven't watched that. And uh, Hail Satan. Oh, yeah. Hail Satan was great. Yeah. 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 So um, I know the uh, I have not watched the Mr. Roger, the Want to Be My Neighbor. Oh, that one's good, too. Documentary. Yeah, that yeah, one's really good. I know everyone like has raved I about fucking that. fucking cried during that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I called my sister after that movie and I was like, I just need to tell you. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah. So, uh, OK, we're uh, number six, right? Uh, yes. That was your seven. Uh, that was my seven. That was your seven. OK, uh, my number six is a uh, movie from last year. 2019. Mm. It is a sequel. Mm. <laughs> Have I had a sequel? No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, it is uh, Avengers Endgame. I figured that was where this yeah. was headed. Yeah. 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 It's Avengers Endgame. <laughs> um, there was like a lot of like, you know, kind of action-y movies, you know, that I kind of had listed down. Uh, but yeah, Avengers Endgame definitely, you know, that is like the ultimate the ultimate tapping into my comic book sensibilities and what I like about comic book movies. And, you know, it is just the, uh, I felt like if I never watched a comic book movie ever again, I'm glad I made it to Endgame. Mm-hmm. you know? Um, but no, just, uh, it's kind of amazing to be on a journey with Marvel yeah, uh, and their characters for 20 something movies and for them to have an end game, uh, uh, this is how we end it, or mm-hmm. this is how we end this chapter. And they really like sent everybody off really well. Like their original six Avengers were sent off like beautifully mm-hmm. within that story. And so um, it was amazing to watch an experience. Yeah. And every time I saw it in the theater, I cried. Yeah. And every time <laughs> I cried even harder. Yeah. <laughs> I did, like literally. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I literally shed tears. Yeah. Yes. At, at moments, it was just that powerful for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to say, you know, for number 27 or whatever it's like, it is. I think it's a 22. 22. 22. 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it's been well documented on the show that I'm not yeah, yeah. into the Marvel stuff. But uh, I mean, yeah, I that is commendable that for the fan base that, you know, movie number 22 can be 
like by all accounts a worthy conclusion to the 21 movies <laughs> that have come before it right you know right. that seemingly everybody is pretty happy with and like it was able to surprise them you know because with this type of stuff too like this kind of fan base this many movies this much pre-existing source material for all these characters as well mm-hmm. um you know the speculation pool goes crazy oh yeah you know with everything and it's like how could somebody not get it right you know yes. in, in a lot of ways but it seems like people you know ended up seeing the movie and we're all like wow it's not what any of us expected but yeah. this is awesome you know and that's a really you know creative feat mm-hmm. uh that is very you know commendable yeah um so you know i do give it credit for that uh i'll never see it i don't care <laughs> but <laughs> um but yeah, I, I think it's really for you and like Tyler and all those, you know, who are fans and who have invested this much time. Yeah. You know, because I, you know, I'm fan, I'm a fan of other franchises or long yes. running things. And I know what it's like to be let down. Yeah. Um, Metal Gear Solid 5, <laughs> looking at you, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I know that feeling. And yeah. to hear that like you didn't get that feeling. Yeah. Is awesome. You yeah. know, I'm really, really happy about that. Yeah. Uh, and again, also, yeah, just just kind of wild that they were able to do that. You know, really, that was such an ambitious plan. Um, yeah. And, you know, like it's like almost the ultimate, like, you know, cultural phenomenon blockbuster, like, you know, must see movie right. kind of event of all time. It's mm-hmm. kind of one of those things like, well, that'll never happen again. Yeah. You know, exactly. like nobody can do it that big again. Yeah. It was like a one time thing. Yeah. Um, even if Marvel tried to do it again, it just seems like where could they possibly go? You know, right. They, and it doesn't even look like, you know, there. It's so funny. Like uh, Robert Johnny Jr. was just on the Joe Rogan's podcast and like <clears throat> Joe Rogan was just like, oh, come on, man. Like, you know, if they ever had you like come back, you know, like you, you got to do it and everything like that. And I think I'm just so used to, you know, actors saying like, no, I won't do it. But then like later on, they'll do it. There's just something about like Avengers Endgame that like, you know, that that's like it for a lot of these characters. It's 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 it. And like Donnie Jr., his response was just like, yo, in all honesty, he's like, there would have to be something like narratively that made sense that would make it worth coming back but i've kind of done everything i had to do with that character and yeah. wanted to do with the character and like i'm happy with where it ended like where the arc ended so like it would really have to be just like earth shattering that this character comes back but for now like i'm good and i'm happy and i, I honestly just want to do other things and i'm like that makes me so happy i would love to see robert Downey jr come back i would love it but i'm so happy that he's not mm-hmm. because it just is a you know it's a, like a beautiful end to his character yeah because it it does feel like a very very and that was the other thing that was the other cool thing too is that like from watching Iron Man one to coming to let's say Civil War uh, Captain America Civil War and like Infinity War and Endgame mm-hmm. like he's always Tony Stark he is the quippy guy but like he literally as a character grew into something so much more. That was that wasn't just this, you know, cool billionaire that drinks and sleeps with a lot of women. And yeah. All this other kind of stuff. Yeah, like Playboy he, genius. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so um, that was also really cool to see something like that in like a comic book movie mm-hmm. where it was like, yes, it is a blockbuster. There's, you know, thousands of shots of CGI and this and that. But also like for the fans or at least for me, like they never wavered from, you know, making sure that the story was, was there 
for you know the characters mm-hmm. and um coming off the heels of like star wars too you know what i mean like it's also kind of like yo i know this took like 22 movies but like y'all had nine and like a kind of big gaps in between yeah like, figure this shit out <laughs> right you know what i mean couldn't like, do something better than this <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right you know so um so yeah i'm glad that at least in this decade there was one <laughs> franchise that just didn't you know didn't screw me over yeah and you know in in kind of like sticking with it you know so um so yeah that definitely hands down that was like one of the movies that was like yep this is definitely going on the list yeah so yeah well yeah and it's i mean that kind of like that kind of took place over the decade also because what the first iron man that was what like oh eight I want to uh, say I think we were at Flashpoint when that came out. Yeah, I thought it was on. We we, oh, were, at Fla- we were at Flashpoint, but it was really like I mean the like MCU in earnest probably kicked off around like 2010. Yeah, and then for yeah, it yeah, to yeah. evolve into what it did, and in 2019, then come out with Endgame, and it is sort of like you know they really did define the decade as far as the blockbuster goes. Yeah, Iron Man the first one was 2008. Okay. Yeah. 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 Iron Man two was 2010. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay um no yeah 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 definitely i mean so yeah interesting too that it just it really fits within mm-hmm. the criteria we're working with here that's too. true i mean yeah. it really is like yep started in about 2010 and in 2019 it all fucking concluded you it, know? yeah it's done yeah so yeah i i i really hope downey doesn't come back even Same. not being yeah, yeah, a fan yeah. or anything i just i always hate resurrections i think they're Same. like really lame yeah um i i get fan service you know and that's yeah. why that's basically why people do it. it's like oh man everyone liked this guy we kind of <laughs> killed him so um that's also a great thing about know. this about the story about the movies is that it really elevated by the end of endgame it elevated um it's kind of like what christopher nolan did with batman at the end of uh the dark knight rises mm-hmm. like you know the thing was that Batman was an idea like yeah. it didn't matter who was there it didn't matter who was in the suit so long as the idea was like living yeah someone was doing something with it so like that's what you know the the russos i felt like ended up doing with the characters of like you know thor uh even though chris hemsworth will be back for a fourth one there's something happening with his story that might might take it to a place where okay he'll be good Mm -hmm. and that that idea and that character still around but like you know anthony mackie is the new captain america you know uh and in comic books, like there have been other characters that had have taken on the mantle of Iron Man. Right. Yeah. But they really did it in the movies where it's just like, yeah, Iron Man can be, you know, there were times where Downey Jr. wasn't even in the suit. It was just sort of like uh, artificial intelligence. You yeah. know, he was doing something else while the suit was over here. So, you know, it was it's nice to know that, like, yeah, whoever does pick up that mantle, like it'll be a fresh brand new story aside from you know, the overarching shoes to fill mm-hmm. of, of tone of the character of Tony Stark, but it'll be nice to see someone, you know, if it ever happens, carry that, carry that Iron Man mantle on because it doesn't have to be him. It doesn't have to be Tony Stark now. Anymore. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Sweet. Well, yeah, I just, I, you know, having little faith in studios to ever I know, do the right I thing. Know. I just, <laughs> as soon as ticket sales go down a little bit in a few years, <laughs> They'll be knocking on Danny's door. <laughs> and they're not going to have a great narrative reason. They're going to yeah. have a fucking dump truck full of cash. Well, you know what? And I'm still going to keep hope alive. He's take it. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dorian, you know, if you ever want to barrel down the 22 movies with me. I do not. 
Yeah. Well, I I would gladly watch twenty two movies with you. you say the word. <laughs> <laughs> I would gladly watch twenty two movies with you, Bobby, but yeah. not these, not these twenty two. I could I could probably whittle it down to like a, to like a set. This is what you would need to watch to understand. You know this. Nah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I tried. Yeah. I'm never gonna not try, Dorian. There's no there's no desire I on know, my part. Know. You know that's the thing. I'm like I don't I don't care. <laughs> Um, okay, your number six. All righty, here we go. Number six. My number six is a little movie called Chicago Rot. Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. I've never heard of this movie. Please tell yeah, me more. Never, oh, really? Yeah, yeah interesting. <laughs> Blocked it out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chicago Rot is it's fucking my movie, motherfuckers. It's not my movie. It's our movie. Yes. Um, I directed this film. Yes. Uh, co-wrote it with a wonderful human being named Brant McRae, who also Brent. stars as the lead actor in the film. Uh, Bobby, uh, my cohort over here, uh, is the first assistant director on the film. Um, yeah, my uh, Jeremy, who we mentioned a ton, was uh, the producer of the film, mm-hmm. produces other stuff that I do. Uh, our cinematographer, Ryan Barina, uh, he's been, I've been working with him on pretty much every project since this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, if you're rolling your eyes right now, go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yes, I co-wrote this film. I directed it. I edited it and all but fucking lived it. Um, but somehow in spite of all of that, I actually genuinely love this movie. Um, we made this film because it represents the type of movie that we wanted to see, but we're not finding in the current cinematic landscape. And I'm both thrilled and proud to say that we were successful in creating such a thing. Uh, I honestly wish that somebody else had made this film so that I could have the experience of discovering it in its final form. But then again, I would never dream of trading uh, away even a moment of the experience of making it. Um, It is unquestionably the defining experience of not only my decade, but my entire life thus far. So how the fuck could it not be in my top ten? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, this is my first feature. Um, that's a huge step, uh, cause I want to be a feature film director. Yeah. So making my first one was a pretty big deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So obviously there's that element to it, but, but yeah, as I was saying here, like I, you know, we made this movie and like some of the other movies I've talked about, like bad black and, and bellflower, you know, sort of had that like handmade quality to them and mm-hmm. you can just feel like the passion oozing off of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's very much this film as well. You know, I can speak from firsthand experience <laughs> in that regard. There was a ton of stuff about this that was like, there's no way we can do this, but we have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. You know, because we're that passionate about it and we know we can't change this because, you know, there's, Sure, there's like, you know, elements of the script, this crazy tenuous balance of genres and blending things that we're trying to do here that like we need to have this. But it was also like we can't go down that slippery slope, you know, of like compromising what we want to do with this film, because that's like as soon as you start doing compromising one thing, it becomes easier to compromise the next thing, right, and the next right. thing and the next thing. And we had to hold ourselves to that side with no money to do it, <laughs> you know, um, fucking it didn't have the resources we needed to pull off the shit we wanted to do. But it was just like, hey, we all, you know, we're all on the same team here. Yeah. We all agree on the vision for this film and like what we want it to be. And we have to go all out. You know, mm-hmm. we have to do the impossible every fucking day. Yeah. And, um, you know, it it was an exhilarating experience. It was horrible at times. I mean, sure. Every, it was hell. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> absolute fucking hell at times. <laughs> like, I uh, definitely days I wanted to just like go cry in the corner. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just wanted it to yeah. be over. <laughs> like, can I stop now? Yeah. <laughs> like, why couldn't I have just been an accountant, you know, or something? <laughs> like, went through all that shit. But like I said, wouldn't trade a second of it. Yeah. You know, ultimately, yeah. like even in those moments too, it's like you know, you're like I'm, I'm, I feel this way because I fucking care. Yeah. You know, it's not because like the world's taking a dump on me. Mm -hmm. It's because like, you know, it's not like, I don't know my fucking, I just got evicted, you know, or like I just lost a custody battle. Like, you know, that's true. Hell, you know, that type of stuff. This was like, I'm doing what I am the most passionate about in the world. And I just care that deeply that any like little inconsistency or inconvenience is like, is the end of the world, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's sure, you know, you, build a thick skin you can deal with a lot of that yeah but when like you know there's like 15 end of the worlds happening at the same time <laughs> yeah right right it becomes a bit much yeah <laughs> and on top of it everyone's looking at you how do we fix this because you're the director you know right. and you got to have the answers and it's like i, I don't fucking know this is my <laughs> first time like you know but you can't say that you gotta, yeah yeah you got to have a, at least a place to start you yeah. know you might not have all the answers right away but it's like let's get the ball rolling and you know always be on that like okay we're here to solve problems not get despondent over the issues you know yeah. um i think the um um uh, what do you call it uh, i'll blow you for a little bit Woo! um i think Good thing i wore my sweatpants I, <laughs> <laughs> I think i think honestly uh the the times you're talking about where it like wasn't easy yeah like not in a bad way but those are i remember those the most mm-hmm. than I do like because we su- overcame them the successes yeah you know what I mean yeah and we overcame them but also at the same time like I think uh, I think with you like you held everybody to a to a to and I don't say this in a shitty way to like to your standard you did it in a way where you like treated all of us as like professionals like I am speaking speaking to you as an equal so I'll hear what you have to say and I'll take it and I'll digest it but it still stands to reason that like narratively this is how I see this and this is how it'll fit. I feel like subconsciously whether everybody will admit it or not, like that's kind of where we're all at is like, we're all on that, you know, Dorian level of like, well, no, if we're going to do this, like let's really do it. And it's because, you know, we want to, it's like, we want it to be the best and we want it to like look the best. And this is something growing up with you on set and doing all this, at least for me, like that's what I go with now. Is that like, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, this isn't going to sound shitty. You know what I mean? This needs to sound fucking great. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is, you know, but um, and and you you like continue to you continue to do that even when, you know, if any of us are like, oh, my God, like we have an idea. You're just like, cool, put it on paper. Do you know what I mean? And it's, it is literally almost like you saying, like, look, if you don't put it on anything, then it's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. like, let's just do it. Yeah, like, let's like like get to it, you know, and I will. I will devote a day, but just get to it. Yeah. And so, you know, I think like I learned a lot of that stuff from like you and everybody like on the movie, but you being like the head, the director, the, you know, the writer, the person who's, you know, calling action, calling cut and making these decisions. I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were times where like people were just like, what about this? And you're like, yeah, it's this. And you were probably just bullshitting, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because you probably didn't even know. But it was like, yo, man, Dorian said it. So I don't want to get it. Always (laughs) had a premeditated answer. (laughs) Um, 
but no, yeah, I think that's, uh, I think at least, you know, and all that being said, God, I love the movie too. I love watching it. You know what I mean? I love people talking to us about it or asking questions about it or where we've taken it and this and that. And it's just been, it's been fun, yeah. you know, to, to, to do and to see and stuff like that. And so, um, well, thank you, Bobby. Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. That means the world to hear. Oh, it's, it's from the heart, dude. And I mean it's, it honestly, like I'm glad it's on your list. Yeah. <laughs> And it's out now. <laughs> it's people. out. It's Go. been out. Yeah. yeah. So we're coming up on our three-year anniversary yeah. on April 4th. It'll be three years since it's been released. Wow. Um, yeah, it came out April 4th, 2017. So it's getting... Uh, it's getting some you know it's getting some gray hairs on it it's getting fucking old kind of like us it's getting- I, I, that was another thing jeremy was like dude we <laughs> aged like obama when we made that movie <laughs> like, you look at photos of us from before production we're all like so chipper yeah. and young <laughs> it's like at the premiere we've all got like gray hair <laughs> haven't shaved just fucking yeah, oh yeah we put some put some fucking miles on over oh, that yeah. yeah uh for sure but anyway that's uh that's my number six Chicago Sweet. Rock. yeah awesome I kind of wanted to, I wanted to be my number five because I was like it should be in my top five yeah. you know oh yeah 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 shouldn't it but I I just couldn't my my top five is like you can keep it Roddy at six yeah no yeah, I like I I like also I think if you you know if we end up breaking this up into like two episodes or something like yeah. top five you know I think that's a good place to end oh okay yeah the, you know ten yeah, through yeah, six yeah, yeah. On Chicago Rot, and then because my top five, I gotta say, I feel pretty, yeah, pr- pretty solid about. Hey, everybody, it's uh, Bobby Navia, one of your co hosts of The Couch. Uh, this is where we're gonna put a pin in this week's episode, and uh, next week, uh, part two of our top 10 movies of the decade will be live for all your ears to listen to. So, um, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please uh, reach out and follow us on Instagram at Guys on Couch. Facebook, The Couch, Twitter, at Guys on Couch. And if you want to reach out to us personally, let us know what you think of the show or maybe suggest a trailer that you'd like to hear myself or Dorian tear apart, uh, please email us at guysonthecouch at gmail.com. Have a good week. Bye.